In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place, where history academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. I'm your host, Miranda Schmiederer. Hold on to your helmets for this episode of that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're not discussing Vikings or Richard III or even a particular time period. Instead, we're starting off our three-part series for our Archaeology Live event. We'll speak with some archaeologists here at York Archaeology as they tell us about some of the excavations that we've done, the different types of archaeology that we take part in, and even hear about some of the projects that we've got going on right now. In this episode, I speak with Aaron Johnson, one of our project officers in our fieldwork branch at York Archaeology. I'll ask him about archaeology and pop culture, and even the early years of archaeology here in York. Archaeology has been around for as long as there's been a past for people to look at. In ancient Egypt, the son of Pharaoh Ramses II recorded and restored lots of ancient buildings in Egypt. This makes him both the first buildings archaeologist and the first Egyptologist. In 550 BCE, the last king of the Babylonian Empire discovered and analyzed the foundations of a building from an Akkadian ruler who lived nearly 1,700 years earlier. Even Constantine the Great's mother, Helena of Constantinople, searched the Holy Land for biblical relics, especially the True Cross, well into her 80s, and is now the patron saint of archaeologists and new discoveries. But really, the beginnings of modern British archaeology dates back to the antiquarians of the 18th century. During that time, antiquarians were more concerned with collecting objects from the past, particularly, as Aaron calls them, the shiny things. For them, these collections were less about discovering the past and more about showing off how wealthy and well-traveled they were. Today, the process of uncovering artifacts is just as important as the artifacts themselves, sometimes even more important. But to these antiquarians, only the artifact, cleaned up and restored, mattered. Today, archaeology is working really hard to move past these antiquated colonial roots, as well as widening what it even means to be an archaeologist. When people think of archaeology, they tend to imagine people digging in fields with trowels and buckets, but there's more to archaeology than just that. Zoo archaeology is all about animal remains, while osteoarchaeology looks at human bones. Bioarchaeologists tend to stick to a lab, looking at things like dental caries, stable isotope analysis, and even ancient DNA, while a landscape archaeologist looks at the lumps and bumps in the ground to build a picture of how humans have shaped a landscape. Experimental archaeology tries to figure out how people did things in the past by recreating now-lost techniques. Maritime archaeologists don't even work on the land. They dive to excavate shipwrecks and other sites now underwater. There's even space archaeology, which looks at the debris humans have left behind in outer space, though they certainly have to look at that from here on Earth. One last thing before we talk to Aaron. We had a little bit of sound difficulty with this episode. We recorded this interview in a very busy museum during the height of summer holidays, so please excuse the sound quality. Can you start by introducing yourself? Yeah, my name is Aaron Johnson. I'm a project officer with the York Archaeological Trust. Fabulous. 
So we are doing a bit of an intro to archaeology, and so I guess a good place to start with, what is archaeology? What is archaeology? That is the question, isn't it? it it's, a, it's a vast field of interweaving disciplines, so we could probably speak for a whole series on what archaeology is. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a field archaeologist, so my, my job is to, uh, is to go out to various sites and through a combination of fieldwork, research, and then uh, post-excavation analysis, make sense of them and work out what happened in the past. Excellent. People often have a very particular image in their head when archaeology is mentioned. Most of these come from pop culture, like Indiana Jones and Laura Croft. How accurate are these images? I'd like to say that the, uh, the, the glamour and travel of the world was accurate, but it is more kneeling in dirt in the rain, so <laughs> not, not the most accurate, no. But they have been very successful pop culture kind of a phenomena, and I'm sure a lot of people have been fascinated by archaeology as a result of seeing the, uh, the excitement of discovering something that's been buried for so long. Would you consider either of them to be particularly good archaeologists? You don't see them doing a lot of paperwork, <laughs> do you? And if you ask any professional archaeologist, it is 75% paperwork at the very least. You know, you never see them writing a fines label, you know, there's never any nice conservation assessments of how <laughs> well-preserved a find is. Well, they've got a lot of energy. You they know. do, they do. A passion for it, mm -hmm. maybe. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, what about the less fantastical depictions of archaeology, like Time Team? How how accurate would you consider Time Team to oh, be? Time Team, it's, it, it's a wonderful thing, and it was responsible for getting many British archaeologists, many um, archaeologists around the world into the discipline. I'm probably one of them. Yeah, I was, uh, I was interested already, but just seeing, um, seeing them on the TV really kind of turned me around. As for accuracy, um, <laughs> there, are, there are things that are very good. You know, you see there's a real methodology. They, they'll research a site before they go in. Um, Archaeology is extremely interdisciplinary. So, um, you know, they'll use various expertise from, you know, looking at um, historic maps, aerial photographs, geophysics as well as the traditional excavation fieldwork methods. I think where Time Team is different from commercial archaeology, professional archaeology, is that they're always searching for something. There's always some kind of agenda to find you know, the lost motive manor house of so-and-so. When in fact, uh, in, in the field, in, in certainly in commercial work, we're usually just finding what happened. Mm -hmm. and, uh, we just want to know everything. We're very nosy archaeologists. <laughs> Amazing. So a lot of these pop culture ideas have basis in kind of the sordid history of archaeology. Can you tell us a little bit about when the practice of archaeology first began? Well, it's, uh, I mean, you go into, into deep history, really. There, there's an archaeology of archaeologists. My expertise is mainly in York. Mm -hmm. um, so if we use York as a case study, it's, it's fascinating, really, because people have always had a fascination with the past. Mm -hmm. um, lots of early Christian churches it's not uncommon to hear about people rooting around where they're about to build the building to see if there's any good buried building materials. If you go to All Saints Church on North Street in York, just by the River Ouse, there's complete Roman columns in the fabric of the medieval nave. So it's not necessarily archaeology as we'd see it, but they were digging up and finding things of value, mm -hmm. putting them to use. I'm sure there was some level of interest. In terms of what we'd call actual archaeology, again, York is a case study. I think 1696 is the first kind of document documented find point of sort of finding some buried coins, you know, some shiny things, we all, we all <laughs> like the shiny things, we're just as excited today when we find a coin. I think these were of William the Conqueror uh, period, and they were found in associated with the remains of a timber building, so you may have a late Viking Age, early kind of Anglo-Norman 
period structure there. Of course, no record. <laughs> and then, um, you're, like a lot of British cities across the 1700s, the 1800s, there's a real construction boom. Mm -hmm. People are digging out cellars uh, left, right and centre. It breaks your heart when you think about it, the amount of buildings which were uh, being put up with no kind of archaeology um, as part of the process. And this was noticed. There were various people would visit York in the 19th century, they would speak to builders, they'd ask them to set aside things that they found, particularly the shiny things, again, <laughs> it's always the shiny things. And I think there are references in the 19th century to a, basically a tug of war with the, uh, the kind of precursor of what's now the York Museums Trust, the, the Yorkshire Philosophical Society, and then private collectors trying to snap up the best, the best artefacts. And then thankfully, later on, some of these private collections have since come back into, into public ownership, so uh, you can see some of these treasures. I think in um, 1736, in uh, Drake's famous tome, Eberacum, there's the first mention of Viking Age. It's, it's coins again, but it's showing the first deviation from the early interest in Roman Yorks. York, York was very much always thought of the Roman city, and you know, you, the Romans were building in stone, so people for generations had been digging holes, finding substantial stone walls, sometimes digging that stone up and using it in a new building. <laughs> And it's, it's fascinating watching this process develop. I think it was uh, George Benson, turn of the 20th century, was watching a development, uh, literally watching, he wasn't involved. He was an architect, he just happened to walk by and he would make some notes and uh, see what was being exposed. And just near the Orbit Viking Centre, they're kind of between Hayes Gate and Copper Gate, and two metres, two point two metres underground, they found a huge um, wooden structure with perfectly preserved timbers. And he um, described it of the Danish period and some kind of tanning pit. Having personally dug, I've been lucky enough to dig similar structures, we now know this would be a Viking Age something featured building. So in one respect, obviously this is long before we'd worked out the amazing conservation techniques that we could preserve those timbers with. However, he did make some drawings for us. They were measured, we know a depth, so at the very least we can now plot on a map that we know there is a Viking building roughly here. So that's, that's the beginnings of archaeology with, with a kind of um, you know, methodology to it. And then over the course of the 20th century that improved massively. Um, Peter Wenham's famous excavations across the city found a number of important sites. Um, the York Minster excavations, the tower came alarmingly close to collapsing, uh, found a real wealth of Roman archaeology and then of course um, the York Archaeological Trust performed in 1972 and the rest is history. <laughs> or archaeology. Or archaeology, archaeology. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you kind of mentioned that especially like when the coin hoards were found they didn't have a lot of methodology so was this early kind of practice of digging stuff up just for the sake of digging it up was that helpful to modern day archaeologists or was it more harmful? It's uh, it's, it's that, that great question isn't it because <laughs> without these these things being found we wouldn't know about them and you know sort of some of these um, collections have as I've mentioned earlier have come back into you know being on public display so it's wonderful that we can now see these things you do also wonder how many things disappeared into private collections and have never been seen so there's probably a wealth of, uh, of riches out there oh that's really sad to think about isn't it <laughs> It's not all doom and gloom, I promise. <laughs> well, some people still have this notion of archaeology being mainly treasure hunting. So how does metal detecting fit in with archaeology? It's extremely difficult. <laughs> it is. I've been lying said it wasn't. I think we have to recognise that, that there's a lot of very, very good metal detectors in Britain. I've been lucky enough to work with some myself, particularly on the community archaeology project. One gentleman on a project in Lincolnshire was working through the spoils. 
weeks obviously we were digging at a fair pace and uh, we were trying to investigate some medieval remains so it's very easy to have a shovel full of clay sticky soil and not notice that small object within it so in that respect it was fantastic because he was coming back from the uh, material I was just excavating which meant I could figure out which archaeological context these finds were from and just as we were leaving on the final day he pulled us up to let us know that he'd found a perfect medieval silver penny that he could very easily have pocketed and, and he was more interested in what this penny could tell us about the site and, and the features. So that, that was fantastic and um, it's always a pleasure working with people like that. The opposite end of the spectrum, um, I'm sure you're aware of in, in the news particularly recently as well, um, with the, the night hawking of people um, breaking into sites and just excavating and um, taking finds that we, again then, we, we don't get to see as uh, people that are interested in archaeology. It's interesting to think that even in 2021, there's this archaeology like black market almost, you know? Yes. It's something you definitely associate with, I guess, like the 19th, 20th century, you know? But like, it, it's weird to think about that kind of still being a thing. <laughs> it's still around. Uh, it, it is a problem, and yeah, I'm sure it will be for some time, but we are now. There, there is uh, increasing precedent of heritage crimes actually being prosecuted. Okay. So, you know, hopefully that, that'll carry on. But also, it's just a matter of education, really, mm -hmm. I think. If the majority of people uh, are not uh, friendly to this idea, of uh, just you know stealing you know our shared kind of cultural heritage mm -hmm. then it's going to be more difficult for people to do that i think definitely if people have an interest in archaeology but no formal educational background how can they go about getting involved oh it's uh, it's there's a wonderful world of opportunity <laughs> there's, there's many companies that do things just just like us uh, that we do here at the york archaeological trust um, so across the country at any given time there'll be countless community archaeology projects and what's wonderful is there's a real variety of these now. We, we've gone beyond just coming and having a scrape at the ground with a trowel. You know, <laughs> people are getting involved in, in recording historic buildings and researching historic maps. And people are getting involved in, in much more creative ways to use archaeology, you know, in terms of art, music, theatre. We fundamentally are storytellers. You know, we, we find a collection of objects and uh, deposits and we have, to, we have to kind of form those into stories and the evidence that we create and I think it's always wonderful to then pass that on to people, see how they, how they respond to it and there's always opportunities, there's plenty of websites you can search where you can um, get involved with excavations, kind of more creative projects and then of course there's the world of formal training excavations these are usually pay for the courses that we run here at York are entirely funded by the people that um, take part so as well as obviously getting the training from professional archaeologists you also get the satisfaction of actually knowing that that project wouldn't happen without mm -hmm. your involvement so yeah there's a whole world of uh, exciting archaeological opportunities out there is it we dig now is that what it's called we dig yeah historically it's been called archaeology live what we're trying to do with our york and nottingham and sheffield offices is actually work more closely together there are lots of very excitable archaeologists like myself that just love sharing what we do with people but we are finally actually getting our heads together and making our, our offer a bit more um cohesive but also making the best use of the skills we've got in house there's a lot of people that are extremely knowledgeable about certain aspects of archaeology and we can now offer that across the different courses and the different locations. What is one thing about archaeology that you want our listeners to walk away knowing? That's a very, very good question. I wish I'd prepared an answer for this one. That would have been a, been a good idea, wouldn't it? I think, uh, certainly as a commercial archaeologist, we're, we're very much in the habit of getting very cold and wet and muddy, then maybe having a bit of a gathering on the evening in a pub and having a good old complain. But fundamentally, I think there aren't many other jobs where every day has the potential to be life-changing. You might be on the worst site in the world, the most horrible sticky clay, it might be terrible weather, but you never know what's under the next shovel. 
you know, and some of the discoveries that I've made over 15 plus years of digging now have, have been genuinely, you know, some of them really get you, you know, because as I say, we are storytellers and, and we're nosy, and we get to see things that there's, there's very such a chance that they've survived. So it can really be a privilege, I think. So um, I think it's, if there's one thing to think about archaeology, it's extremely unpredictable, but it can really open you up into a whole world of uh, fascinating tales. Can you tell me about your favorite dig and a little bit about it? Blimey, there's been so many. Um, <laughs> I'll try and avoid going through a huge greatest hits. That's I'm right. Working mainly in York, I've been extremely lucky. <laughs> the Hunger excavation was where I came as a, a young archaeologist. I'd worked for a year in uh, West Yorkshire and mainly excavated Roman ditches with nothing in them, <laughs> which was still charming. You know, it, it's still still interesting. But then I was thrown into the middle of a Victorian, better word, slum uh, settlement and and very quickly to learn the rigors of single context uh, archaeology. It's, it's my personal favourite uh, <laughs> method of recording and interpreting archaeology and um, it can be difficult when you first begin. So the Hungate site was incredible. We, we began with these 19th century remains and um, found countless amazing tales. I could, we could have a whole series of podcasts about Hungate, uh, about some of the things we found, but um, Starting with that uh, level of archaeology was amazing because we actually got to speak to some of the people that remembered it from when they were children. Um, there was one day we used to have little portholes into the site so passers-by could ask us questions and see what we were doing. And the gentleman asked what uh, house number I was in. I think it turns out I stood in the building he had been born in. That's amazing! In 1936. So obviously we, we were very into the site. Then we progressed down. We basically just kept finding these earlier and earlier stories of how people have lived on this same spot. And now some things have been exactly the same, you know, it's always been wet. Getting, getting rid of your sewage has always been a challenge. <laughs> you know, we, we found that the Victorian wells, the bottom of them, were almost all sat directly in a Viking cesspit. But I think it was, you know, archaeology is all about the experience of the, 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 the average person. You know, history tells you the great deeds of the kings and queens, whereas, you know, we're rooting around in the ground finding things like, you know, a Viking haircut <laughs> that was found on a site in the centre of York. Um, the famous Coppergate turd, you know, is, uh, I'm sure there's a better word for that, apologies. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, th these are things which, which are just fantastic and very direct insights into the lives people were living. And then, you know, um, on Hungate in particular, the, the very earliest deposits that were found were basically the beginnings of the Roman occupation of York and the first kind of subdivision of land. And it's just incredible to be able to kind of stand on this one site where all this has happened. So that's certainly been an amazing one. And for my last question, what is your favorite artifact that you've ever found? Oh, well, again, <laughs> crikey, there's, there's obvious things. You always remember your first coin. The first time you deal with human remains is quite an emotive mm -hmm. um, moment. Um, your first complete pot is always lovely. <laughs> the, the, the correct answer should be, I was one of the team that was very lucky to find a Viking Age building on the Hungate, which was made from a um, recycled timbers from a ship, which we found were, with the tree ring dating, the dendrochronology, were dated, I think, if I remember correctly, 954. But the building was built, I think, 969. So we had the remains of a ship, which was probably originally from the southeast of England, we're talking about a 12 meter long seafaring vessel which has somehow ended up in York and then been hacked to pieces by a, uh, some local uh, Anglo-Scandinavian person who's then uh, built a cellar out of it. So that, that was amazing. But, you know, one of my favorite things I ever found was far less glamorous. It was, um, I was in a, a 
very early 20th century garden, just working through a garden saw and found a piece of tile and I just luckily put my mattock down for a second <laughs> to investigate this piece of tile and as I lifted it I realised that someone had created a small chamber. They dug a small hole, they lined it with pieces of roof tile and they laid um, the remains of a tiny little bird, a small songbird as it turns out. So I thought, yeah, that's amazing, I found a pet burial. Yeah. And who hasn't had a pet and lost a pet and been, you know, um, devastated by it? But it was later on in the historic research we found out that a pub down the road, formerly called the Bricklayer's Arms, had a linnet singing competition, so you bring your songbirds down, whichever sang the finest might win the owner a few pints oh. of ale, perhaps. So um, that was really heartwarming, that was, yeah. that was a lovely one. That was kind of, you know, really brought me in touch with the person whose garden I was rooting around in. Well, exactly. It's like you were saying, it, you know, archaeologists are nosy. There's not many other jobs where you get to root around people's lives for a living, you know? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, when we're human remains, very literally as well, mm -hmm. you know, we, we get to see the ailments that people were, were living their life with. And I think it's that, you know, you can, it's much easier to walk a step in someone's shoes if, you know, if you know quite how bad their knees were and the abscess <laughs> that was really causing them trouble. So, yes, it's, it's a fascinating discipline and can really take so much. So yeah, I love it. Same. Keep an eye on the on the York Archaeology web pages. Um, certainly next year, um, we're hoping to expand even further our, our portfolio of, of you know public archaeology opportunities. We're working with numerous charities. So again, thinking of different ways that we can involve people with archaeology. Because you know, if, if we just put a fence around the site, dig a hole, write a report that only a few people might be interested in reading, <laughs> we haven't really shared what we've found, have we? So I think we're always looking at new ways to share share the discoveries that we make. Amazing. Well, thank you very much. Sweet. Special thanks to Aaron for being our guest today. Stay tuned for our next episode, the first of two, all about York archaeology, how and why it was founded, what projects they have worked on, and what they're currently digging up. Want a more hands-on experience? For the next few weekends at our museum, Dig and Archaeological Adventure, we'll be hosting some experimental archaeology sessions for the kids to have a go at. Additionally, why not book one of our triple tickets and visit the Jorvik Viking Center, Dig, and Barley Hall, our medieval townhouse. Book your tickets now at jorvikvikingcenter.co.uk. Thanks for listening to that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and leave us a review. And if you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend. It's the best way to help support your favorite Viking podcast. That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Jorvik Group and York Archaeological Trust. Researched by Miranda Schmiederer and Ashley Fisher. Written and produced by Ashley Fisher. Sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.